I'm Lisa Billiou, and I went from housewife to co-founder of the billion-dollar company Quest Nutrition and now president of Impact Theory. Our mission with this show is to empower you and all women to recognize you really can become the hero of your own life. Welcome to Women of Impact. Don't be fooled by today's Women of Impact. Her delicate features, angelic voice, and soft demure is in spite of the incredible hardship she has had to endure. And while her grandfather, pianist who performed with the likes of Julie Andrews, Frank Sinatra, and Cary Grant, may paint a beautiful picture, her story is far from a fairy tale. Losing her mother to drug addiction at a young age and then going to see her sister who was raised in the system walk the same path triggered something in her to take action. Fearing her niece was going to fall into the same trappings, her and her husband adopted her in the hopes to give her a better future. Not stopping there, she now has dedicated her life to being an advocate for charities that focus on supporting children. From hosting pink parties that honor teenage girls battling cancer to Baby to Baby, which provides diapers, clothing, and all the basic necessities to low-income families with children. She works tirelessly to create impact on those less fortunate. She even stripped down and posed for a PETA ad with her iconic husband and football superstar, Tony Gonzalez. So, it is my absolute honor and excitement to bring you this mind-blowingly inspiring hot mama, Toby October Gonzalez. Hi. What an introduction. Thank you. Welcome. So we met on a blind date. We did. Blind date. Yes. Tom and your husband, Tony, knew each other. Oh, I guess they got introduced. Yes. So we went out not knowing. It was like, hey, come along, meet the wives. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I've heard of Tony's reputation. Mm -hmm. He's extremely, you know, um, famous, if you will. Yeah. and so I had some form of preconceived notion of what you would be like, who you do, which is terrible because I hate it when people do that. I <laughs> yeah, like, hate why do I hate it when people do that to me? But it's almost like instinctually you have a vision of what that person's going to be. Yeah. And we sat down, and I think within ten minutes we were just like, yes. And you told me some of your history, and I was just mind blown of what you've done, what you've achieved, what you've had to overcome, and how you now use it to benefit other people and other children around the world. Um, So take me back to, I guess, your childhood, if you don't mind. No. Yeah. So my parents got divorced very young. um, And I think I was about, I don't know, about five years old when my mother started to kind of pick up a drug habit. And it proceeded to get worse and worse throughout the years. It It went from, you know, cocaine on the weekends and um, to speed and then eventually to heroin, which was, you know, the worst of it. And then eventually she went to rehab. She got divorced from my stepfather. She went from rehab to rehab. And then when I was about 14, I went to live with an aunt. My sister went to go live with my grandmother. And then my youngest sister, Noelle, went to live, uh, with my mother. Mm. A year later, she overdosed. And in that moment, you know, where you think you might not be able to cope or it's just so tragic, it was almost like I felt um, a sense of peace. Because at that moment, I knew that there was going to be no, no more roller coaster. I had never, never really lived or spent more than a year in one place or with one family or you know, in one situation. You hear so many stories though of people have gone through the same thing mm-hmm. and they end up following in their parents' footpath, right? Yeah. So 
was there something specific that you did to your mind or something at the time mm-hmm. um, that allowed you to kind of stay strong and actually better your life instead of following that path? Things happen to us throughout life and I feel like every child and every person absorbs things and sees things mm-hmm. differently. So even though we had been through the same experiences, my sisters and I, and we had gone through essentially the same kind of things, we all absorbed it differently. Her, pass- her passing, um, the addiction in our home, the abuse in our home. Uh, for me, I kind of drew upon the idea that that was exactly the opposite of what I was going to do with my life. That was going to be the opposite of how I was. Um, my sisters, on the other hand, were very, a lot more emotional about it. Were very saddened about it, very hurt by it. Um, and I would say that it affected them totally different than me. So I became stronger. Right. Kids are very resilient. And I do have to say that children are built with a certain survival, survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. And when horrible things, awful things happen to kids, we almost carp, what is it called? Carpentmentalize or? Com- yeah. Like compartmentalize. Yes, it's a hard word. Compartmentalize <laughs> uh, those things mm. within us. And I think as we get older, at least for me, those, those things kind of raise to the surface. Right, interesting. Um, in different ways, too. I mean, I'll notice myself getting really um, kind of anxious and uncomfortable when I am feeling like I am not in control of something. For instance, I have this odd fear of driving on the freeway, which is so weird. I mean, in California, it's like the worst fear Such to have because <laughs> everybody's like just crazy. You can't go anywhere. Can't go anywhere. No. But I'm like, why in the world would I be afraid to get in the car on the highway? This just random fear popped up out of nowhere. Recently. Recently. And I went to therapy and they said that, you know, sometimes our trauma surfaces in different ways. It, it could be a fear of, I don't know, of, of being alone or a fear of, you know, making in social anxiety, all those kinds of things. Um, for me, it was the freeway and it's, I don't know what it, I've, I've, nothing's ever happened to me on the freeway. So do you think it is the control thing? Whereas like you can be in control as much as possible, but it, it just takes one driver yeah, out of control to yeah. change that. Yes. I feel like I don't, it's trusting the drivers around me. Hmm. So I think it obviously comes from a lack of trust in, in an environment, maybe possibly from when I was a child. So w- have you got s- some things that you're doing to like overcome that? Yeah. So I mean, I think for most people who have anxiety for in any situation, mm. um, have to keep it going from a one to a hundred. Right. And I, I like to stop it at about a five. So by, by trying to, I don't know, think about something that I have to do that will completely take my mind off of the anxiety itself is the only way I can get through it. So really, like distract yourself? Complete distraction. Really? And it's also just doing it, going through your fear. Yeah. So I can't just not get on the freeway forever because then, you know, I'll never drive on the freeway. Right. So forcing myself to get up and drive and go do it, palm sweaty, anxiety, <laughs> and, just, and just doing it, yeah. and then afterwards feeling really proud of myself, like, okay, Sounds so stupid, but I like, I drove on the freeway for like, you know, three miles. 
But it's not stupid because it's right. really about the fear that you've overcome. Right. And it, so yeah. Mel Robbins, I don't know if you've heard the example that she gave um, where anxiety and excitement actually showcase in your body the same thing. You get like your heart starts mm-hmm. racing a little, your palms start sweating yeah. a little. And so your brain doesn't necessarily know which one you're experiencing. So if you're feeling anxiety, mm-hmm. she said just switch the voice in your head and say, I'm excited. Oh. So instead of focusing on like, oh crap, I've got anxiety, yeah. reframe it and say, I'm excited to get on the freeway. I'm excited to get on oh, the I freeway. Love that. I'm excited to get on the freeway. Because yes. you're reinforcing in your brain why you're feeling the heart mm. palpitations and the sweaty palms. Mm-hmm. And so I've literally now used it like, I'll just say like, I'm excited to do this. And it's like, you've got to force yourself because yeah. it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, 100%. But it's just that little framing in your mind that I just found yeah. fascinating. Isn't it interesting that your brain doesn't know yeah. whether or not you're telling it a lie mm-hmm. or not? It just knows It just knows and believes whatever you say, whatever you tell it. Yeah. So like you said, if you keep saying, I love driving on the freeway, this is so fun, this is so exciting, your brain's gonna go, really? Yeah. Oh, hey, maybe it is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the hope, right? That you yeah. do it enough, it creates those kind of mental habits. Yeah, because that habit loop, like, that could be so effective, yeah. also dangerous, depending on what the habit is that you have. Yeah, be careful how you talk to yeah. yourself, right? So like, what do you do with your kids then? So knowing what you were saying about like how you can have three kids from the same parent mm-hmm. and they can be so different, mm-hmm. how do you parent like that? Um, we teach every kid and kind of take on every kid as an individual. Um, we actually decided to homeschool our two middles because we wanted to customize their education and kind of gear it towards what they're, you know, kind of attracted to and what their passions are and create history and, and science around current, you know, situations so that they will develop a love of learning how do you do that? So I'm thinking, like, I'd never even heard of homeschooling yeah. until I came to America. Right. So it's like, what do you mean you don't go to school? It's like, no, I learn from home. It's like, well, don't you then just, I don't know if you guys use this phrase, bunk off. Do you no. use that No, what does that Basically, mean? Basically, do nothing. <laughs> like, don't you just, like, bunk off yeah. and, like, do nothing? Yeah. So my daughter, for instance, she does not like math, similar to her mother, uh, but she enjoys being crafty and she loves to cook absolutely loves it so what we've done is created uh, a cooking kind of class for her where she all of a sudden realizes like i think i'm doing math these are fractions these this is math so clever so and she and she loves it and then we're like see you get it you're doing it she's like oh i am and she just feels so smart and she's so Mm self-confident so instead of feeling down on herself she's like oh i get it yeah so you have an sh- extreme love for children. I do. Um, talk to me a little about that. How did that develop? And what is that like goal and mission for you? Because like every, everything I was reading about you, yeah. it's like, oh my God, when, do, when does this woman stop? Like you're just giving yourself <laughs> over to all these different Aww. causes and charities, um, which I think is so meaningful for me and people at home to see. Because I think if there were more people like you, I don't know if we would be in the situation Aww. we are in. Well, thank you. I. I obviously coming from the background that I came from um, have a heart for kids and and in any situation I've been involved in different charities as um, starting with shadow buddies which is what I got involved Mm -hmm. in with Tony where we got dolls in the image of the sick child and would go to different hospitals and visit with the kids Um, some of them terminally ill some of them just diagnosed some of them in there for short stints but we'd go in there, brighten their day, uh, 
they were big fans of Tony, a lot of them. So Tony would autograph the dolls and hang out for a little bit. Just, just to get a smile on their face was really awesome. Uh, more recently, I'm involved with Baby to Baby, which is a beautiful organization um, that basically helps serve about 180,000 kids in the Los wow. Angeles area alone every year by giving just basic necessities like diapers and wipes and gently used baby items. Uh, and it's just huge. It really helps parents get a leg up and really helping kind of serve in a way where we can help the parents get ahead and create a better life for their children. Mm. And that's really important to me. I mean, look, I grew up with, I slept on the floor till I was 12, I didn't have a bed, we were on welfare. There were days where there were no, was no food in the fridge and I think, wow, it would have been really cool had, if my mom or my dad had a opportunity to find a place where we could get clean clothes or we could get you know, hygiene products, shoes. I had holes in my shoes. So it's a very, it's, it's a charity that's very close to my heart because, I mean, I was one of those kids. Do you get to meet the mothers at all? We do. There's different kinds of events that we put on where they'll bus in different families, kids and mothers, and we'll have parties and things. Get to take home a huge bag of toys and clothes and shampoo. I mean, to see the look on a child's face um, and be so excited about like just getting a new toothbrush I mean, it's just so sweet and it's so special and it really puts things into perspective yeah. for, for everyone. Do you, t do your kids know about your past and your history and like, yeah. how do you talk to them about it? Mm -hmm. You know, they'll ask me where my mom is or mm -hmm. who is your mom or where is she? And I'll say she's in heaven. And they say, well, why? I'm like, because she took bad things, bad drugs. I said, there's good drugs and there's bad drugs and she took some bad ones. And they'll say, why? And I said, because she was sad. And sometimes when people are sad, they feel like it's the only thing they can do. Mm. And it's not. And then I ask them, what are things that you could do when you're sad that would make you feel better, that won't hurt you? And so we kind of go through those things. And they say, well, read a book, or go outside and play, or go swimming. Or they'll you know, give me the answers that a normal 8 and 10-year-old will. But um, they have a vague understanding. So, but it's, I think, definitely a conversation that will be useful yeah. when they get to be in their teen years. I mean, talk about shock value and scare tactic. <laughs> well, I know, no kidding. They're like, what? But that that's, is frightening. That's what I'm really surprised. Right. Like, not even surprised, but like, it would be difficult to not... So I'm projecting myself into your situation yeah. right now. If I've had that same type of upbringing and now I live the life yeah. that I live, it would be hard for me not to say to my kid every time like they take a candy, be like, you better, you better enjoy that candy because when I was younger, I didn't oh, have a yeah. sleeping. Definitely. Like, Look, my kids, on we serve the homeless, make lunches for so them. you take them with them. We do. That's great. We clean up the beaches, we do little things. But every time we travel to a different country or a different place, we want to take them to volunteer wherever we go. That's cool. Either at a homeless shelter or an orphanage or someplace uh, because wow. we're so blessed and we live such a great life. And we get to go back to our really beautiful hotel and live our lives and can completely could completely shut off the rest of the world and not right. really know or understand or be in touch with any of it. So I think it's important to go serve the community that's mm -hmm. serving you. And if we're there, then we should go and serve. 
least a little bit. Right. And so yeah. having them see it mm -hmm. kind of just reinforces that yeah. behavior of yeah. not taking things for granted. I think our, the scariest thing about raising kids when you have kind of come out of a lot of turmoil and a, a, a problematic childhood is teaching, how do we teach our kids grit? How do we teach them right. perseverance right. and resilience and all those things that we got to learn just by living our lives? Right. I look at them and I'm like, how are they going to make it out there in the real world? I mean, they're so privileged. Right. They're so blessed. They're so lucky. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's just totally, it's a totally different animal for me. I'm, I'm trying to balance it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, it's an experiment, but I think by taking advantage of, you know, what's around us and serving the people around us uh, in our community is a good start. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you about Tony. Yeah. Now, when you first met him, you didn't know who he was, right? No, Which I had I no clue. Love I love that so much. It's <laughs> like, who is this large, handsome man? <laughs> So tell me a little, about, a, a little bit about that and then also about your dynamic and how you're able to stay such a strong, independent woman with her own voice instead of living in the shadows of your husband. Yeah. Well, when I met Tony, I, like you said, had no clue who he was. He was just a very handsome, large man. Um, I found out through people that were at the place we were at, they're like, you, do you know who that is? He plays professional football. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, and then I remember fast forward to going to Kansas City and walking into a stadium of 80,000 screaming wow. Kansas City Chiefs fans. And I was like, I guess uh, this is a big deal, this shabby. football thing. <laughs> Pretty cool. I, it literally was the first NFL game I'd ever been to. Wow. So needless to say, I was so kind of taken aback by just realizing how much work he put into achieving mm. this goal. So when I thought about that, I just I was like welled up with immense pride of being with this man who obviously to get to where he'd gotten had put in so much work. And so I, I developed an admiration, not just for football, but for what he had to do to get there. I was just so taken by his entire just presence and his mm. work ethic and just loved it all. Um, and I, when I was in Kansas City, I definitely fell into the, especially in the beginning, fell into Tony's wife kind of right. situation, right? So... Did you like that at the time or was it still like uncomfortable? We dated for a year and I was there and I was fine being the girlfriend. Okay. And then once I had, we had gotten married, I kind of said, you know what? And I didn't, it, I didn't take a, there wasn't like a day or a light bulb that right. went off and I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm not <laughs> going to be the wife of Tony Gonzalez anymore. It was kind of just a process of growing mm -hmm. up for me as well, where I didn't necessarily say, I don't want to be this, I want to be this. It was more or less creating a voice for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I always had a voice, but I think in the beginning of a relationship, you kind of have to feel, your, feel out where your place is. Do you think that's a woman thing? Yes, I, I do. Say, I, I, I don't like to generalize. And I don't think that's because of anything Tony did right, or made me right, feel like right, I had right. to do. I did that on my own hmm. because of the way I saw people treat him. So because they were so needy of his attention and his, and his time and all of this, I kind of took a step back and I was happy to let him shine and to be the focal point of attention and all of those things. I was always myself and always outgoing, but in more of like a business setting, 
or a setting, an NFL setting or certain kind of party, I would definitely take a back seat. Right. Um, which I'm happy to do and sometimes is, it's nice to do. Right. Um, but I'm not at that point anymore. You know, isn't so it interesting? Was, so what, yeah, what was that actual step? So there's someone at home listening right now yeah. where it's not their husband's fault, it's not their partner's fault, yeah. they haven't done anything, it's been within them, they mm-hmm. felt like they took a backseat and now they, they are feeling unfulfilled, right? So yeah. it's like you're saying, finding your voice. What exactly does that mean? Like, what did you do? Were you like, all right, next time I'm in a meeting, you're gonna speak up, you're gonna say one, like what was that? What can people do at home to copy that and really then embrace it? Um, what I think it was for me is recognizing my worth and that knowing that what I have to say is important and impactful mm-hmm. and interesting and everybody in any environment would be better off after hearing it. How do you do that? Is it just because you're, are you naturally confident? I think all of us have opinions, we have ideas, we have visions, we have, um, we're so smart about certain subjects. So when those certain subjects come up and we wanna you know, fly off and talk about them, that's who we are. We have to listen to that kind of inner voice where it says, oh my gosh, you know this, mm. say something about it. So that's what you're telling yourself. Yeah. When you know something, say something. When you something. know something, say something. When you have something to offer the conversation that will be impactful, say it, listen to your gut is what I'd say. So, and also I have to listen to my gut when it says, oh, you don't really know, you you know, maybe you should keep your mouth shut as well. So it's important to listen to that voice on both sides of the spectrum, you know, when to keep your mouth closed and when to speak up when you should. Because if you are knowledgeable about something and you do have something really beautiful to add to the conversation and you don't share it, everybody's at a loss, you know, everybody's losing now. And so you started doing that and were you getting positive reinforcement? Like, is it that once you do it once, like that's the fear, right? Speaking up for the first time, but once you do, you're like, I got this. Yeah, I mean, look, I lead with humor most of the time. And I think- Deliberately? Deliberately. And I think for people who see me or have a preconceived notion of who they might think I am, we think that, oh, she's that football player's wife. She probably, you know, doesn't talk very much. She probably just hides behind her husband and just likes to live her life and not talk and be antisocial and probably a little snobby. Mm. Um, I like to kind of just take that rug right out from under them and disarm them with a little bit of humor. And that's important, that's important, is to be what people might think you wouldn't be, Yeah. you know? If I could be really honest, you know, for me, because of what I had gone through as a child and all of the trauma and just everything, it taught me something really beautiful at a young age, and that was not to sweat the small stuff, hmm. you know? But I wanted to be respectful of him in those environments. Mm. So it wasn't about me not coming out and being like who I really am because I didn't, I wasn't confident. I wanted his thing to be his thing. And there was a moment when I merged it into sort of our thing. And that was a beautiful moment. What I love, it seems like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like it's made you guys stronger. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, what's funny is I think Tony was attracted to me because he, he found out about my life story and was attracted to my resilience. Mm. So it's interesting when you find a partner and when you open up and you share like the most raw parts of you and it it ends up being the part that you love the most about them, right? For five years, I was in a very abusive, verbally, physically um, relationship 
before, right before, well, right before Tony. So I found myself dating my stepfather, which is so interesting. Did you realize it at the time? No. Hmm. Mm -mm. I was 20 when I met him. We dated till I was about 24, 25. And he was brilliant and successful when I met him and sweet and all those things. And I, he got addicted to alcohol and he just kind of spiraled and kind of lost everything. And I felt like I could save him and I felt like I should save him. And yeah, it just became a really dark place of abuse and just a cycle of dysfunction. And it took me to realize and to redefine love. That's the only thing that got me out was redefining what I thought love actually was. Mm. And it was nothing like I had been taught. So did you actually sit there and like write it down? Like yeah. did it hit you one day? Like, mm -hmm. okay, this isn't love. Every day. What is my definition of love? Mm -hmm. I basically mantra like every day to myself. Oh, really? This is not love. Love is kind. Love is respectful. Love is honest. And I would constantly tell myself or ask God to help me to stop loving this person. Wow. Yep. Every day. And then eventually one day, it was literally one day, like a light bulb, it went off. And I was like, I think I'm done with this. Once it was redefined, I was like, whew, mm. I, will never, I will never experience something like that again. But isn't it interesting? Like you can spend your entire childhood going, that is the opposite of what I'm going to be. I'm right. going to be so different. And then you're like, wait a second. Yeah, like uh, how does that actually happen? Because there's so many people yeah. out there like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there may be someone listening or watching right now mm -hmm. who's thinking the same thing. Yeah. Where it's like they're in that relationship mm -hmm. and they're like, how did I end up here again? Yeah. Um, sometimes you feel like you've dug the hole so deep that it's almost impossible to get out. Yeah. But I don't think anything's impossible, nope. right? Your limitations are what mm -mm. you set upon yourself. Yep. So what actual things can they start doing to try and get the strength to lead that type of relationship? So Mantra is saying this mm -hmm. isn't love. So I think starting a habit of thinking a certain way, and like I said, mantraing myself and telling myself what is love, what is not love, what I was worth, all of those things, and then surrounding myself with the people that I knew that loved me and really actually listening to them. Because when we're in love, for whatever reason, it's like there's some part of our brain that shuts off or like when they say love is blind, that is a real thing. Yeah. So I didn't hear anybody, I wasn't listening to anybody, I didn't see anybody. I was very isolated at that time. If you find yourself in a relationship and you're isolating yourself with just you and your relationship, red flag. And do you think being around people who love you and make you feel good kind of just then highlights when you're around the bad and the negative, mm -hmm. it like almost highlights that even yeah. more? When somebody like that sees you gaining strength and getting stronger on the other side, their first instinct is to drag you back down. Mm -hmm. So I would say stick with the people that bring you up. I mean, it sounds so easy, but surround yourself with the people that make you feel good about yourself and make you happy and you know, want to see you succeed and do better. How do you stop believing? Like, it was your ex telling you negative things? Yeah. Like he would tell me that, you know, you're just, a, you're just a piece of arm candy to most men. They're never going to, like, really get to know you or care about you. I'm the only one that sees you for who you really are, and I'm the only one that's going to love you. So many people listen to that. Though. Yeah. I get it. Like when I was 16, I had exactly yes. the same thing. The same boyfriend mm -hmm. that was telling out of the fear as I was going off to college yep. that he was getting left behind. He was just like holding yeah. on to you so yeah. tight. And I want to 
I want to say it's because I was young and naive mm-hmm. and that it was the first boyfriend that I ever thought that I really loved. Yeah, like I was t- so young. Yeah, and I never got boys. I was like the girl with the unibrow and the braces oh. and stuff. So when I finally got a boyfriend, I was like, I can't You were just in love. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe I've got a boyfriend. And so I recognize now I was getting almost my self-esteem from him. Mm-hmm. But what's weird is he was then making myself, like lowering my self-esteem. Yep. Isn't that odd? So that's the master manipulator, yeah, right? Yeah. To me, that's the master manipulator where they think, well, they make you feel like they are obsessively, madly in love with you, which is a a high mm-hmm. that's a beautiful feeling yeah. but on the flip side make you feel like you're worthless and if i need to bring you down i will too because yeah. if you allow someone to bring you that high up you're allowing, you're allowing them, them to yeah bring you that far down yeah and yeah. then do you think having that relationship actually then allowed you to recognize how Ooh, yes unique and special tone yes was? when we just started to hang out more and more i realized this is, he's such like a good human mm. he he has a big heart. He's so kind. He doesn't talk negatively about anyone. He's just a good egg. And I thought to myself, how boring. Really? Interesting. He was like so dull. I thought, this is so not interesting because there was no high, high highs and no low, low lows. Do you think that's like almost a... um What's the word? Kind of like the same as a drug addict. It's almost like a you know, yeah. morphed itself in another way. Relationships you, can be just as addictive as drugs. And what I love is that you, you weren't the damsel in distress, right? You didn't meet this tall, handsome no. NFL superstar and be like, save me, save me. No. Um, you almost like were the opposite. I definitely was not needy in any way, shape or form. I definitely never thought of him as I never thought of any man as being my save, you know, saving grace mm-hmm. or somebody who's going to rescue me. Um, but what he did teach me was how to define love. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful thing. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I think what kept him interested is the fact that I didn't feel like he was, every, he was my everything. Right. Like I could take or leave. If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. If it did, great. So I think it's important for most women seeking relationships is to be in a position where you don't need anything from anyone about Tom, how you're working out how to be codependent, but dependent. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize who you are, but just enjoy being around him. It doesn't, I don't feel like that necessarily makes you a codependent. Yeah. I think it makes you a codependent by choice. And there's a difference. Yeah. Right, and that's there's a the difference. thing. Yeah, Pe- people <laughs> have such a negative connotation with the word codependent. And the truth is, like, I really do genuinely feel yeah. like one half of a whole. Yeah. And when he's with me, I feel complete. And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of women are like, you're crazy. Yeah, um, like, why do you, you don't need him? Yeah, yeah. I've watched enough Oprah episodes, so I- Oprah <laughs> would hate the fact that I've said that out loud. Yeah. Um, and look, I think it just, it makes sense for who you, each individual person yeah. is. For me, again, going back to, I don't need him, but I desperately want him. Yeah. Because I feel good when I'm around him. He yeah. only elevates me. He doesn't knock me right? down. I'm a better person when I'm around him. So when I think yes. about all these things, why is being codependent a negative thing? I can see it being a negative thing if when they're not around, you're almost like freezing time. Yeah. And you don't exist. Yes. And they come back in the room and then you're like, you're back into action yeah. again. They're like the croutons to our salad. Oh, I love you that. know, like we don't need them. We want them. 
tastes damn good. Uh, absolutely. And I really lean into it. And the reason yeah. why I'm kind of harping on about our relationships mm -hmm. and, you know, you and Tony and me and Tom is because it was something I really struggled with because I was brought up think, um, with the notion of if you're a feminist, yeah. it means you're on your own, right? If you really believe in women power, mm. it's like screw the men, women power, mm -hmm. full force. And for me, I was like, but I like men. Like, I want to be around. Yeah. I feel good about it. Yeah. And then the other side of it is I saw women who were super weak when they were in a relationship with a yeah. man. So I saw these dynamics that none of them felt mm. right to me. Yeah. And I just thought, well, hang on. I do believe in female empowerment. I do believe yeah. in a woman having a voice and standing their own their ground and being an entrepreneur, right? And yes. being a mother. Like, whatever that is, I think women can achieve whatever they set their mind Absolutely. to. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that I can't also acknowledge the other part of my life, which is I love my husband mm -hmm. and I love snuggling him. And sometimes when I'm just not feeling well, I just want his arms around me. Of course. You know, and it's yeah. like fighting those two things where you, I don't feel like you have to have one or the other. I think you can I, have I agree. Both. I agree. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think also I respect people that feel differently because mm, every right. every relationship has their different dynamics you guys are an interesting situation right you work together mm. you live together you play together i mean and the fact that you both still enjoy enjoy seeing each other <laughs> is is kind of wild right i mean most couples yeah. could not make that work and you do and that's your relationship and that's what makes your relationship beautiful and unlike anybody else's and i feel like we all kind of have that little something special and different mm. in our relationships. Right. And I think it's important to cherish those and not have to ask for permission or, you know, apologize for any of it. Yeah. It's what you and him and need in your lives and what makes you happy. Yeah, for sure. So I can keep going on forever talking to you, but there's one more thing I really desperately yeah. want to talk about. So you did a video of your daughter about alter egos. Yeah. Tell me about that and what, <laughs> how did that come about? So my daughter plays tennis. We have a very sporty family and um, she is a beautiful spirit. She's very kind. She loves animals. She's almost like our little spirit child. She just wants to serve and she's just always happy. She's kind of, her head's kind of in the clouds. But she is a fierce athlete and she is a competitive athlete. And she was kind of struggling with... Um, feeling those feelings of competitiveness on the court and wanting to win and and also going, but she's my friend. I don't know if I should just like beat her or if it's okay to like kind of play as hard as I should or is it okay to be, you know, really confident and speak up when I see a ball that's gone out, out or speak up to the ref. We see her struggling with how to be a friend and a teammate and then how to be competitive. So what we created was an alter ego for her. You know, Beyonce has her alter ego, right. Sasha Fierce, right? When she gets out on the stage and she gets out there. And, and when you see Beyonce in an interview, she's like, well, hello. Yeah, she has a little Texas accent and she's just so sweet and smiling. And then you see her out there on that stage and she's whipping her hair around and shaking <laughs> her butt. She's like owning it, right? And so Tony and I thought to ourselves, let's create an alter ego for our kids where when they get out, to do a speaking engagement on the tennis court, on the basketball court, that they are no longer Malia Swiftly Gonzalez, River Christian Gonzalez, Sophia Gonzalez, Nico Gonzalez. They are this alter ego. What qualities, we asked them, would your alter ego have 
if they were like just the coolest, most talented, strongest superhero type alter ego. And so we had them list all these things and it was really beautiful to hear what they came up with, like um, fearless and courageous and, and uh, fierce and strong and powerful and uh, just all these really beautiful things. And it's really taken off. Have you noticed a difference in her performance? Oh yeah. That's so genius. When I saw that video that you posted about an alter ego, like allowing your child to feel it, embrace it, not yeah. shame it, not doubt it, mm -hmm. but also make sure that that doesn't take over everything of who they are. That's also key. So we only bring out that alter ego when we need it, right? So that alter ego doesn't exist in our real world. It's in the alternate world mm -hmm. of performance, really. And when you need it. That's amazing. Oh my God, this has been so much so fun. So much fun. Thank you for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And so before I ask the last question, yes. where can people find you online? They can find me at October Gons on Instagram. Um, and then I'll be launching a podcast soon in the next That's month. That's right, we didn't get time to talk about that. We'll talk about it soon, but it's, it's still in the works, but um, I can't wait for you guys to check that out. But I will be posting up where you can find me on my Instagram page, Perfect. October Gons. So go follow you. Yeah. Amazing. All right, so my last question, what superpower do you feel like you've cultivated over the years that has had the most, the biggest impact on your life? Hmm. Laughter. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm to find the time to laugh and find the humor in everything because no matter how dark it can be, no matter how sad you can be, I mean, this life, it's just, it's just so funny and so wild and so crazy the way things work out. And if you can sit with a group of friends, have a glass of wine and laugh a little bit about it, it's the best therapy you could get. I love that. All right, guys. Well, listen to what Toby just said. Find time to laugh. Go follow her. If you haven't already subscribed to this channel, subscribe, that little button down there. And then follow me at Lisa Billy if you're not already. And until next time, guys, go and be your own hero. Thank you. Later. What's up, guys? Lisa here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button. Click, click, click away so you don't miss any new episodes that come out every single Wednesday. And if you do feel so inclined, it'd be great to get a rate and a review from you. That'd be awesome. That's how we get the show in front of more people and create more impact on more women. So until then, go out and be the superhero of your own life.